to the Bean Ninjas podcast, where you get an all-access pass to see what happens behind the closed doors of a fast-growing global bookkeeping and financial reporting business. Hey, everyone. We're back for another episode of the Bean Ninjas podcast. And today, we're going to do something slightly different. On our last episode, we had our new marketing coordinator, Amp, on to talk a little bit about his role and his transition from being an entrepreneur, running his own business, to being an entrepreneur, which is bringing those that entrepreneurial skill set into another business. And in this case, it was Beanages. For today's episode, Amp is back, but this time he's going to be interviewing me. So over to you, Amp. All righty. Welcome, everyone. And thanks for joining the Bean Ninjas podcast. Uh, Meryl, we're going to talk today about how to build a business that can run without you. Um, and this is really just to explore, I guess, where what your journey over the last three years and, and to really help people who are thinking about how they can really pull themselves outside of the day-to-day of the business so they can focus on, um, I guess, more more critical activities or, or being the CEO only or something like that. So um, why don't we just start with really answering the why question, like why would you want to build a business that technically runs without you? Like is it about creating a four-hour work week Tim Ferriss style thing or is it really about something else? Well, the answer to that will track. So my answer to that three years ago when I started Bean Ninjas is different to my answer today. So I'll go back to pre-Bean Ninjas and I had read Tim Ferriss's book, The 4-Hour Workweek, and I'd also read Dan Norris's book, The 7-Day Startup, and I was running a consulting business which was very overly reliant on me and I wanted to build a business where I could have more freedom and I could work from a different location and I didn't need to work set hours and I didn't need to work 60 hours a week to create financial freedom. So that was kind of the backstory or the why with Bean Ninjas. And our original goal was to build a seven-figure business and to work 20 hours a week. And, and that was the mindset that Ben and I went in with. And that mindset meant that from day one, we were conscious of creating systems and and building a team. So trying to build service that was or build a business that was scalable but over time my mindset around that changed and I can talk through that a little bit more but where I am now my partner is actually pregnant with our first child and I for three years I've been on a journey of gradually building a business and and gradually delegating and handing over particular aspects of a business like HR or like marketing to the point that now, my name is only just recently only in the CEO box, but, but having a deadline, I've given myself until the 15th of March to have all of the, the day-to-day operational parts of the business running without me. And that means that when the baby is born, I will be able to take one, a month off and, and be there and, and learn to be a good parent. There's a lot to learn around that. And then when I come back, the intention is that I freed up my time to really focus on that CEO role and do that well and and look at what's happening in the industry, what might happen in the future, look at strategy and risk and also innovation and where we can add new products to our business. And I think it's difficult to do that if you if you keep getting if you keep getting dragged back into day-to-day operations. So that I suppose that's broad strokes around what my my why originally was around creating systems and building a team and then also where I am today. 
So that's an interesting um, insight into the evolution of your role and also your understanding and mindset around what you're trying to create for yourself within the organization. Um, can you sort of elaborate on, like, I love that this has been driven by your partner having a baby because that the kind of these lifestyle events happen, these sort of life events happen that kind of act as a trigger for a change in uh, thinking, right? So um, then. I guess what's your definition of a CEO and what are the func- what's the function of the CEO? Because a lot of people listening to this um, and everyone has a, sort of their own view of what that is, but I, I'd like to understand from your perspective what you see the CEO at, you know, what their role is in the organisation. That has evolved for me because I've had that title, CEO and founder, for a while. And as the business grows, I see the need for the CEO being more strategic and and looking into the future. I see that as being important because someone needs to be aware of what's happening in the market and steering the business into that direction to take advantage of opportunities. As an example, we knew that cloud accounting and Xero really took off in Australia. Xero was a product that came out of New Zealand and that QuickBooks was a couple of years behind that, in, in, and that has meant that in America, the adoption of cloud accounting is a little bit slower. And so if you've got your head down in operations doing the work, then you might not see opportunities like that. And we saw that as an opportunity to really expand in the US. So that, that would be one example of a CEO trying to keep their finger on the pulse of what's happening in the market, but then also being ready to, to pivot or have a sm- try something new outside of traditional business operations. So I see the role of the CEO is to create the vision, create, or if it was a sports game, it would be to work out what is the objective and what is the overall strategy and then really rally everyone behind that vision and for everyone in the team to be really clear about that vision and, and what their role in the team is in order to help achieve that. So you make a you raise a fascinating point around that cheerleader type role. Like, is that does that come natural to you, or is that something you've had to develop over the past few years? I've had to develop it. I was always an organizer, but I think an organizer and a leader are different things. So back when I was at school, I used to be on the school council and house captain and things like that. And at university, I'd be involved in in clubs and, and help out but I was a good organizer but it didn't necessarily mean it didn't necessarily mean getting other people on board with what I was trying to achieve and so I've done a lot of reading and observed other leaders and done a lot of thinking about what I think it means to be a good leader and I think part of that is about inspiring people and, and getting them they, they, they need to want to do something too and so you need to be able to paint the picture of what that future might look like and then also how we're going to get there. And have there been any other resources that you mentioned some books? Are there any key books or other resources that have helped you develop your leadership style? I love Extreme Ownership by Jocko, and I can never say his surname, but it's Wiltnick. And, and that's all about the leader taking ownership. So if something goes wrong in your team, ultimately that's your responsibility. And did you provide the clear instructions? Did you provide adequate training? Have you trained your managers and set the right expectations? And ultimately all of that comes back to you. And so I love that approach and I try and follow that myself. Um, I've read a range. I, I like the work of Simon Sinek as well. He's got a book called Leaders Eat Last. And and then also I, I learn not only from business but the sports field and watching coaches but also captains of different sports teams and how they address their team and, and how they might pull people aside 
or uh, try and change the, try and get people inspired or excited. Yeah, that's an interesting one because if I can sort of side step a little bit here, I'm following, I'm a big sort of National Basketball Association follower in the US. Um, and there's in a situation of one player who's got, he's a very talented player. And he's kind of jumped into a leadership position, but he's not really like trained to be a leader, so to speak. And he's had to sort of jump in the fire and develop that skill set. And he hasn't had the, the, the buy-in from his teammates that he is the actual leader. And that's an interesting situation. I see that in business as well, um, especially when you like where you started off with as a consultant, you know, where it's just you and, and perhaps your co-founder co is doing consulting as well. But And then then you have to actually now, all of a sudden, you've got 10 people that you need to manage, right? And it's a different mindset you need to shift into and like you say it's part inspiration but also a lot of it's training and systems absolutely a lot of training and systems and understanding where someone else is coming from so I really try and understand what's motivating each person in the team because that to me that dictates how I interact with them or what opportunity mm -hmm. what might may or may, may not be relevant for them because if someone's trying to fast that track their career they're looking for different opportunities than for someone that is looking for a lot of flexibility because family is their priority at the moment. So I think it's important to understand why. And, and ultimately, I see my role as similar to a sports coach. And my, job, my, my role is to help everyone else excel. So what do they need in order to do their part really well? Love it, love it. Okay, so let's talk about some of the key challenges or blocks you had with removing yourself from the day-to-day -day, um, and why it took you three years to get to this point. I'd say the, a big block for me and for, I'd say most other business owners is cash flow. So if you draw out the organisational chart with the revenue that you have in year one or year two, it's just not possible to hire for every single role on that organisational chart. And you need to gradually do that as your revenue base grows. But it's that chicken and egg, egg scenario where you need more sales to pay for the salesperson. So at what point do you hire them? And so cash flow was a juggling act in working out who we could hire when to help with growth, but knowing that we couldn't do everything all at once. So I'd say that was one. And maybe a lack of urgency. So I didn't fully prioritise delegating and the, I didn't identify that until I gave myself a deadline with the birth of our baby to say, well, right, I actually need to delegate this right now and there's no reason that I can't hand this over. Whereas previously, sometimes it was easier for me to keep doing some things. And as an example, managing a particular team member, it can be difficult to transition those relationships or in, in some cases I've been looking after development plans for team members. And again, those kind of things can be tricky to transition to someone else. So I hadn't been proactive about that previously, even though they didn't really align with the organisational structure that I was still doing some of these things. but by having a deadline and letting everyone in the team know that it wasn't that I didn't want to look after these relationships anymore. It was that, well, we've got a deadline and, and it just needs to be done and we'll work through a transition process. So basically that speaks to your ability to communicate the vision and to keep uh, your team members, you know, on top of the changes that are coming, right. And letting them know that you're still there, you still have the relationships, but you're also supporting them to become better at what they do, and also, you know, we're growing the organization. Things will transition, which which happens in every in every organization. That's not a new thing, um, but it's just really, you know, you talk about being the, the leader of the vision, but also being the leader of the communicating that vision as well. 
Exactly. And allowing time for change to happen. So someone might not love the idea of a particular change when they first hear about it, but partly through repetition. So having lots of opportunities to talk about something and then also doing things gradually and then checking in to see how things are going. That's how I've managed difficult changes. So when you were going through sort of the, like you had the mindset of, okay, I need to sort of move some of these these things now and assign them to specific people or bring people into the organization. Um, did you need to consult with anyone or, or bring someone outside the organization in to help you with preparing the business for systemization? Uh, or is that something that you already knew how to do from previous roles? I knew how to do it. So systemization and well, systems and processes, that's a skill set of mine that I developed when I was working in audit. But I realized when you have team members who are already focusing on their day-to-day duties, it can be hard for them to free up enough time to run a project. And for me, creating systems, so, created, so we, we did a big systems project in 2018 where we documented everything, uh, to Loom videos, and really tried to create the frameworks for hiring a bigger team and following our existing systems. And I realized that was too big a project for anyone who already, anyone in our team to do because they already had a, quite a full workload. So we brought in an external consultant who helped us with the strategy of what we needed to do to systemize things and then also helped us with a project plan of who needed to do what by when. And a lot of the, the system documentation actually needed to be done by team members who, who did those processes. And then we also used her team to transcribe our videos and turn them into procedures to be saved in Sweet Process, which is where we save all of our our systems. So that was a huge and time-consuming project. And I'm so glad we brought in an external consultant. So shout out to Crystal from Crystal Clear Solutions for really helping us get organized with that. Yeah, fantastic job, Crystal, because I'm sort of at the back end of all that, so I can actually see, you know, how how much has evolved within that systemization and, and documentation and process and training sort of thing, and my onboarding was just really top-notch, so well done. Um, so can we just, for, the, for the, the listeners there, what are the, like knowing what you know now, Meryl, what are the steps that you'd recommend for creating a system that will remove you to be the CEO of your organization? So there's two, there's two components. One is looking at the organizational chart, and even if you're doing a role, still write it down. So at the at the beginning, I was my name was in a lot of boxes. So I was doing marketing, accounting, legal, risk. I did projects like like systems. I was the reviewer for accounting work, and I did sales and onboarding. But by by writing that down and having my name in so many boxes, it inspired me and pushed me to gradually train other people in those roles. And I targeted operational roles. When I say operations, I mean revenue generating aspects first. So first of all, we hired bookkeepers and created a system around that. Then we created a system around onboarding clients and then trained someone on that. Then we created a system around sales and then had I was able to hand that off. And then it was the non-revenue generating parts of the business that I took a little bit longer to hire people and create systems around. So I think it, it comes back to having a, a, that clear organizational chart, approaching it slowly. And then with systems documentation, the same thing. We didn't document every single 
system in the business all at once. We mapped out what all of the system, the, the procedures were, and then we targeted the most important first, and then gradually worked on the others because it's not the kind of job that you can do in two weeks. It's more of a, a three month project that then needs ongoing maintenance because as you as you grow and evolve, the, the procedures will change as well. So it needs to be they need to be maintained. Absolutely. And were there any like tools that you particularly liked or, or helped in that process that you could recommend to our listeners? We used Loom to record to do screen recordings, videos to explain or to document how we were doing a particular task. And then we use Sweet Process as a way of storing policies and then also the step-by-step procedures of how to do something. And we chose Sweet Process over something like Google Drive. We use Google Drive as well to store files, but we like the functionality of Sweet Process where we could control who had access to particular things and also ask people to accept particular policies. And, and we had a clear audit trail of, of who had access and, and who was learning particular policies and procedures. And you recently switched over your project management system as well. Can you just sort of explain why you did that and, and why you made the choice for the current tool? We originally used Trello, which is a free tool to run all of our bookkeeping work and then also any other project or system within the business. And it was great when we were small, but when we had multiple bookkeepers, the reporting for our managers, they just didn't have enough oversight over what was due when and was everything happening on time. And we realised that if we were having trouble now with lack of reporting, then our intention is to be a much bigger firm. So we really needed to upgrade our systems. And we decided on Rike because it was very flexible, but also quite a powerful tool. So there's a lot of reporting that we can do in there. It has CRM capabilities and we were able to use it to run projects, but also we can have our HR onboarding process run really well in Rike. So that, that was one of the, we looked at a number of different tools and we actually, when we were going through the process to identify the software, Fiona, the operations manager at the time, scoped out exactly what we needed, went to the team to identify all of their pain points with Trello. And then we looked, we tested a couple of different tools, including Asana, to then figure out what was the best fit for our needs at the time and also where we're expecting to be in a couple of years. Fantastic. All right. So I've just got one question which relates to a statement you made earlier about sort of removing yourself from the the boxes within the organization chart. One common objection I hear from a lot of business owners is how do I find great talent? Right. So what are your thoughts around that? You've you've got some really strong stars in this team. Um, and so how are you able to to attract those that, that quality talent to the team? I originally created the workplace that I wanted to work at. I wanted flexibility and I wanted not to have to work a certain number of hours at a set time. I wanted to be rewarded for what I was delivering. And so we try and run the business like that. But also we're quite active with our content marketing and on social media and encourage the team to be as well to talk about our values and to be very transparent with what we're doing in the hope that it would inspire other businesses. But also what has happened is that it's created a, a workplace that that some people would really like to join or work at. And 
we didn't actually realize that originally with content marketing, that wasn't part of our strategy. But we we then started to have people reach out to us and different, so a number of team members actually found us through blog posts or magazine articles and a couple of guys that have been on the podcast previously and and have have told their stories. Wayne, who's now a partner at Bee Ninjas, came across us from a blog post and Michael, who has been with Bee Ninjas for a couple of, or a bit over a year now, read about Bee Ninjas through a, an accounting magazine. So it's really interesting that the content that we were tr- creating to try and be helpful actually has helped us in attracting <laughs> staff that align with our values. I love that. And I just, that just speaks to the, the benefit of being somewhat transparent in the type of business that you're building. Because, you know, the answer to the question, and I was a bit cheeky with that one, but it's really, you know, if you can show what type of organization you're building and what the values are and what the culture is, uh, then that goes a long way to attracting the type of people who want to work for their organization. So well done. Okay, so uh, we're going to just wrap up now, Meryl. Are there any sort of last thoughts you might have for someone listening to this uh, where they're maybe feeling a bit stuck? You know, I saw a LinkedIn post earlier where someone said, yeah, Meryl, I'm stuck in this situation where I'm in the business. I I don't know how to get myself out. Um, You've covered a lot through this interview already, but uh, is there any sort of final um, message you might have for those people? I'd say that sticker is a long process. So this is not something that you can do overnight or even, well, I couldn't do it in one year. Some people may be able to, but especially if it's your first business, it's taken me three, more than three and a half years to get to this point. And that was one of my goals at the beginning. So I'd say stick at it, but also be patient and just gradually be, be, identify what you would like to delegate or bring other people in to help with, but be patient and just focus on one thing at a time and get that nicely systemized and delegated and then move on to the next. And, and you'll get there in the end. And, and it's worth it. it it's definitely, I, so it's not the 15th of March yet, but I'm already noticing in my calendar that I have more white space and free time for some of the really important deep work that I think I should be doing as a CEO that I've not had time to do previously. All right. So thanks for sharing that. Meryl, you covered a couple of things. I just wanted to recap um, the role of the CEO, being able to set the vision, to evolve the vision, to look at trends that are happening in the market. I mean, there's great opportunity for you as an organization to disrupt or be disrupted. So you'd need to be on the pulse there. Um, And then also the role of the leader in terms of building the team capacity, inspiring the team and working with them to really reach their potential because you know that by doing so your organization also reaches its potential so thank you for sharing all these wonderful insights with us and for anyone listening uh please head over to the the blog or the podcast show notes and you'll be able to grab uh, links and things we've mentioned in this episode thanks for your time meryl thank you